the Art of Leadership Network. And I remember thinking I can either go somewhere and beat my head against the wall trying to figure it out, or I can take two years to learn and I'll follow that faster trajectory. Well, what is up, Church Plant family? This is Mike Hickerson with the Unfair Advantage on the Ascent Leader Podcast. I'm so grateful. Um, and it's going to be a great show today. We've got David Hibisky, Hibisky, Hibiscus. We'll talk to him a little bit about, about, about what his name is, what his role is. I am, I've am i been stoked for this. David has been a good friend. We met about a year ago and have really hit it off. It's one of those people you're like, when you connect with, you're like, man, these are my people. And he's a super sharp leader. Uh, I'm really grateful for just the sponsor of this podcast today. Today is Generis. Uh, maybe you know that Generis exists to help like churches and schools and nonprofits like uh, develop a culture of generosity and the very fabric of who they are is being a generous culture. And it's crazy because when we were church planting, uh, I, I lead Mission Church in Ventura, California. And way back in 2010, when we were church planting and trying to figure it out, Jim Shepard and Generis, I randomly met him at a conference and he was so kind to me. And Generis has helped us personally at Mission with a bunch of our initiatives, trying to develop a culture of generosity. I could not be more pumped about Generis and about what they do for churches and all the nonprofits that I know. If you have any questions, contact Jim Shepard and the Generis team at uh, generis.com. That's G-E-N-E-R-I-S.com. I love them and two thumbs up. So man, David, so grateful to be here. I'm going to pronounce your name wrong. Uh, even though we're good friends, I'm, I've already made fun of you. Like, give me, Tell me your name. I want to hear about your family. I want to hear about your role, where you currently are. And give me give me all the details. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah, well, Mike, it's great to um, hang out with you. We've hung out in some different contexts. This is the first time on a podcast. And so I actually absolutely have a blast every time we're together. So I'm looking forward to this. Um, to pronounce my name, first name is David, last name is Hibisky. So think about like you're like waving like hi, Hibisky. Now I grew up in North Carolina. So with that Southern accent, people say Hibisky, but it's actually Hibisky. Okay. So that's the way you say it. Uh, currently in Orange County, California at Saddleback Church. Moved down here last year uh, with Andy Wood uh, from San Jose. So my role down here, I am the pastor of strategic ministry initiatives. We can jump into that more later. Uh, most important. Am I allowed to say that that means like you're assistant to the regional manager or assistant regional manager? You know, it's close enough to either one. Uh, we'll just leave it like that. No, I'm but teasing. I, no, I love the office quotes. Yeah. These are great. Uh, yeah. Family, but, please. You know, yeah. Yeah. Family. I mean, that's what's super important. So my wife, uh, her name is Kendall. Uh, we just celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary this August. Oh, let's so go. 16 Congratulations. Years in. Yeah. And thank you very much. Uh, we've got three awesome kids. So our oldest, Ella, is 11, almost 12, going into sixth grade, or she's in sixth grade. We've got a fifth grader, our middle, our middle child. Her name is Avery. Uh, she is like my adventure spunky, like ready to go all the time, but she's in fifth grade, 10. And my son is eight years old, third grade. His name is Andrew, super into dinosaurs and now rocks. It's kind of interesting. He's like all, all up into that. And then we just got like two months ago, our first dog. So we've got a family dog. He's a five month old English cream golden retriever named George. 
and he is the bomb. He's five months old and he's 45 pounds. So a lot of fun there in the Hibiski house. All right. <laughs> so I just want to, I want to talk a little bit about you adding your dog into the line of kids. Is that a thing? So, cause there's a whole group of people out there. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Yeah, no, man. If you, if you know me, man, like I'm too, I'm too practical and financially frugal. People were like, when you get a dog and I was like, I got kids. But then, man, it's a kind of a God story with how we got the dog. It really is. And then now we've got a dog and now I'm a dog. You're a person, dog guy. So You're a dog there guy. You go. Yeah. All right. I'm a dog guy now. Uh, so <laughs> just for catching everybody up, I'm the lead planter of Mission Church in Ventura. I have three daughters, 21, 18, and 15. So when you say sixth grade, fifth grade and, and younger, I'm like, oh, dude, I just want to give you a hug. It's so you got a journey ahead oh. of you. It's so much fun. <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, but let's just talk about like we're, this podcast, which you know, and you have a heart for church planters. You actually coach cohorts. We coach mm-hmm. cohorts together with Ascent Leader yep. of Church Planters. Yep. And so, man, I'm super impressed with you with, when we've been around each other. And, and I just love to hear your church plant journey. And I just want to ask some questions and mm-hmm. that I think would be helpful for planters or spouses of planters or organizations that are planting or um, maybe people that are trying to think through church planting. We're just trying to help them know what we know, get it out of our heads uh, that, and trying to help the next generation. So give us your journey of planting. Yeah. And I and I come at it from a little bit of even different perspective than you would, Mike, or maybe some other people that you would have on here because I've never been a lead planter, but I've been on teams in a second chair role. And so I think I can speak a lot to especially how, how to shape healthy teams and what does that look like from that second chair seat. Um, to just kind of give you the quick bullets of my story, I grew up in North Carolina, Wilmington, right on the coast there, planned to be an airline pilot. And then God called me to ministry in college. And I turned from that towards ministry and then just really had this prayer throughout my ministry has always been, God, I want you to be the one who opens the doors. So I don't want to force things open. I want you to open the door and you to lead. And that has been true in my story that God has continued to open up those doors. So finish college, go to seminary at Southwestern Seminary. Um, it's actually where I met my wife, Kendall, there in seminary, um, doing my master divinity there. And then I met Andy and Stacy, our friends that we're now with at, in church number two down here at Saddleback with uh, there as well in seminary. But in seminary, as we were coming, I came in saying, I'm going to do youth ministry. Like, I'm going to be a lifer in youth ministry. But then at a certain point, and probably a lot of people who have that similar story, God starts to work in your hearts in different ways. And the shifts that happened for my wife and I after we had gotten married was twofold. One, man, are, are we supposed to go outside of the Southeast where our families are? Like, think outside the Bible Belt, go somewhere else, and then are we supposed to do something like church planting? Like, am I supposed to be even like lead planter? Am I supposed to be a lead pastor? So I wrestled with that. And some of the best advice that we got along the way was um, look for a church that's doing ministry in a way that really connects with you, with your philosophy of ministry, with what you're doing. So if you go plant or you do anything else, you're bringing that experience, you're bringing that philosophy with you into whatever context you step into. Now in seminary at that point, we we had some friends, and this is like 
in the seminary, your friends who are saying, hey, we're going to do like an Acts 2 church. We're going to start a church. We've got it. We've got it all figured out. We wrote the paper. Like we know we have the philosophy. We've got the whole breakdown of how church is supposed to be. Yeah. No, I got you. I got you. You know, when you're in the think tank, man, sometimes things are more black and white than they are out in the real world. But we were like, we're going to start this church. So they asked me to join them to help be the the youth guy, right? What that what that turned into is this small small church. We're meeting in this high school cafeteria. We've got like 30 people and sitting in plastic chairs, no pipe and drape, like tables with no tablecloths. I'm I'm pulling the trailer every Sunday with my forerunner. My wife wrote me into being in the band. So I'm playing djembe for like a year and I am not musical. So don't don't judge me on that one. Yeah, yeah, you know. Like that rhythm I, I want to see that djembe. That djembe. Uh, that's right. No, dude. It, hmm. I mean, church Anyways. planning is so sexy, by the way. It's so sexy. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It is until it isn't. So um, <laughs> that's probably, you can quote that. But um, yes. But I think we got into this context in church planting there. And it was, you know, you come out of something like seminary and you got all these ideals of what it should look like. Or we're going to teach the Bible this way. We're going to do this. and But you don't know anything. And I think we hit our heads against the wall a lot trying to figure things out and trying to learn how do we reach this community? How do we do ministry in this context? And what I, I learned a lot in that con in that time, I learned a lot about how to teach in a way that hits an unbeliever, how to, how to set up your, your environment that's very welcoming and doesn't feel like you're walking into this huge environment with like 30 chairs in the middle of this room that could see 500. Like, it's like, how do you create environment? So you're starting to see this because you're just stumbling over it. Then we went from that context and we were praying through as we finished seminary, like, what were we going to do? Like, where's God leading us? So again, that heart of outside the Bible bell, looking for a place that's doing ministry in a way that connects with our heart so we can go learn. And we looked at all kinds of things from internships to other church jobs, um, anything. But some of our friends, Andy and Stacy, who we had continued to have this conversation with, they had finished and they had moved up to San Jose the year before we graduated uh, from seminary and they were starting a church there. So they launched February, 2009. This is like May, June of 2009. So the church is just a few months old and we were getting their uh, snail mail, like, you know, the support fundraiser letters that were showing like pictures of what God's doing and all these things. And, to, and so all the affluent seminary student friends that they had, so yeah, that were going to yeah, support yeah. them. You know, cause like, you know, we, we had a lot of money, we were eating $5 footlongs at Subway, you know, right. at that time in yeah. our marriage. So, so we were getting these letters at the same time we're processing. And my wife and I had this unique experience because she had gone to college with them. And so these were her best friends from college. So the same day she's got this letter and she's praying. She's like, God, I just want to be with my friends and I would love to be out here. Well, I don't know this because she's like, you got to move in David's heart. Well, later with the same letter, I come walking down the hallway in our apartment. I can still picture and I'm like, babe, I, I can't shake that we're supposed to call them and say, do you need help? And so that's what led to us joining with our friends um, and moving to California. So we we flew out, we checked it out. We all said God's in it. There was already a couple of people on the team that were were there on the ground as well. But what that meant was you've got to bring your own money. So now you got to go fundraise. And 
And the first thing, like what I learned in that season, especially, so again, my story is God, you open the doors, but then when God calls, he will provide. And you've got to step into this season. And we stepped into this season never once with a fear of, is God going to provide? Are we going to be able to fundraise? It, it was like the faith was there and it was just like, okay, what do we do? I mean, we didn't have kids. We didn't have that yet. So we just loaded everything in storage. We hit the road fundraising. We traveled across the Southeast of the U S and we went anywhere that we had a network. We tried to line up meetings and we asked people to support us and, and tried to fundraise. And so in about three, three and a half months, we were fully funded and moving out. I love that. I mean, you didn't have dogs yet and you're trying to fundraise and move this church. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. (laughs) So we didn't talk about this, but I am fascinated because I trust you so much. Like post-seminary, you may have felt like maybe I should be like, maybe I, maybe we should go plant or maybe I'm supposed to lead or, or, but you were thinking through what am I supposed to join? So give me like, I don't know that everybody is there. Like, give me yeah. what made you feel like, does that make sense? Like, what what was the, and how has that tension maybe even played out in the next couple decades of your life where you're trying to navigate, should I, which seat should I be in for the calling that God has for me? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I, I think I actually had, because I, I process, honestly, at the end of seminary, I mean, I was trying to discern what God was doing. So I actually processed about doing a PhD in student ministry. I mean, I was looking for like, I really want to be where God is. And so Richard Ross, who was one of the professors there in student ministry, he drew on this whiteboard. He said, you know, the difference between a degree, you're taking the time to learn. He said, you can go out. He drew this like, you know, if you got like kind of an arrow where it's like slightly inclining over time, you can learn, you can grow. But if you delay your start, even for a couple of years, the exponential growth that can happen in your life and in your leadership and in your experience is far surpasses that because you took time in the beginning to slow down and get equipped with greater tools, greater experience. And it allows you in the future to go further, faster and higher. And so we had this kind of operating system in our mind of recognizing there's a lot that we didn't know. I mean, I, I came out of a church background where you didn't really talk much about church planning. I mean, I thought there was like a music person, a kid's person, students, and a lead pastor and a missionary. Like I didn't know other things. So this is a whole new world. And, and I remember thinking I can either go somewhere and beat my head against the wall trying to figure it out, or I can take two years to learn and I'll go and I'll follow that faster trajectory. And so that was kind of influencing our thinking. But then when we got in at Echo to answer your question about how that tension played out, I'm living in this place in the first year, year and a half of, okay, is this long-term? What are we going to do? Andy had asked us for a two-year commitment, you know, which I think was really wise. And we needed, we knew, hey, year one, you're just learning year two, you're putting back into the organization. So we wanted to at least do that. So, but I remember being in this place where I was wrestling, you know, when you have one foot in one thing and one foot out of something you're you're kind of a miserable person because you're you're not you're not fully committed to anything and i went in my office and i remember feeling that and in my office i had these like square carpet tiles and i remember standing with them in in my feet in one of each and praying and i'm praying about this i'm like god this is how i feel right now and i said god if you ever 
want me to leave, if you ever want me to go plant, if you ever want me to go lead a church, I will do it. But for right now, I am putting both my feet and I physically moved my feet into the same carpet tile. And I said, I'm putting both my feet in here and the work that you've got me with right now. And I'm not looking or not doubting or not going anywhere else unless you move me. So I, God, I'm just saying I, I'm fully in here right now. And, and I'll be honest that, that, that prayer and that commitment, my greatest leadership growth and that season followed that commitment. It, it was like months later, like it was like things began to unlock. And I think sometimes when we are, when we are living, when we are leading, when we're serving with our feet inside of two different places, we are actually inhibiting our impact, our ability, and our leadership. There's something about commitment that brings focus, that unlocks growth. I love that so much, David. I, I, that preaches a thousand percent. I love that. Like, be yeah. firmly committed where God has you. Um, yeah. I, there's a, I mean, behind the scenes with my friends, when we're always like, I feel like that person may be a climber meaning they're looking to get this job or be around us so that they can get to the next yeah. thing. And I'm always really yeah. hesitant to be around climbers because I'm like, man, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. But yeah, man, sure. like be fully invested where you are. It takes so much humility and to say op- open-handed humility too. Like if you need to move me, I'm in. The answer is yes, yeah. God. Now tell me where you want me to be. Like, I love that. So that leads you, that open-handedness leads you to multiple things at echo in your oh, in your sure. in your staff journey for yeah sure. so yeah catch me up to that or anything else you want to say yeah no i would say like another key decision i mean you'll hear the themes of my story part of it is out of my convictions and so it's god opening the door be committed where you are and be ridiculously faithful with what he's put in your hands so jesus actually you remember he be faithful with the little faithful with much you're faithful with what you've got and so there's there's been other seasons, I think you follow that commitment, then you find yourself in a place where maybe you feel discontent, or maybe you feel like you've got dreams in the future. Maybe you feel like you're you're seeing those things. But in my in my own heart, I'm having to make those decisions and say, this is where I'm committed and where I'm called. God, you can always change me. But I will be ridiculously responsible with anything that you put in my hands and whatever you give me. And I will, I will hold that and be faithful with it. And th- so that's in my mind, that's like the core operating system with every place that I found my myself. Yeah. So give give me those again because I want everybody to hear those. So I will be yeah. like. So first for me, it has always been, God, I want you to open the doors. It's not about me. It's about yeah. you. And part of it was even for me, like in the beginning, like prove prove that you're you're calling me to ministry. Like this is it. Oh, God, open the doors. Be committed where you're at. And where you're called, and be ridiculously responsible and faithful with anything that's put in your hands. Uh, church planners, anyone that you want on your team, and, and personally, like put put those tattoo those if if you're, uh, <laughs> if, you're if your denomination will allow it. So no, I mean yeah, like that's that's yeah. gold, dude, for real. I a thousand percent agree. So that shapes you know going forward into my story. Like those things began to shape, and I had a few key seasons where that those decisions were made. And those became more concrete in me and in my story. So you go into Echo. I mean, we moved out. We fundraised. We hit the ground. The church is a couple hundred people. We've got a great team that is all fundraised. So we had enough staff fully funded 
to hit like 500 from day one. And I think that was a huge part for us on that. But in my experience, I mean, I, I helped lead assimilation and connections. Um, so first time guests through getting them connected, um, started our student ministry in a family's two car garage, um, <laughs> took over kids. So I like blew my wife away. She was like, you did what you're leading kids. So I led family ministry and next gen for a long time, huge heart for that. Um, eventually helped start campuses was campus pastor at our broadcast campus pastor at a portable location while carrying central like leadership hats. Um, I've overseen central things like ministries, like small groups, uh, guest experience. Give me the arc of that. Like, so over how many years as like, you know, a hundred people to then you're like over that arc of expanding jobs and not, you're not keeping all those same jobs at the same time, but is that like a decade, 15 years? That's, that's over. Yeah. It's over about a decade. So those roles are changing. So I feel like in, in those early stages, because we were growing, especially the first five, seven years, we were growing so fast that our roles were changing about every 12 months. Responsibilities are shifting. What it looks like is changing. So if you're, when you're in that rapid growth, this is like from 200 to like 1500 in, um, three years, four, three, four years. So you're, you're changing so fast, both at your role, but your leadership capacity and the way that you lead has to change every year. Yeah. So let me ask you about that. Cause I, I feel mm-hmm. like we all have leadership capacity challenges, especially when our seats change as planters or whatever, yeah. or our team or whatever. So what was the biggest leadership leap like in those seasons when you're like, man, I'm not prepared for this, or I don't have the capacity for this, or I'm not good at this. And yeah. like, where would you encourage a church planner to go? Like there'll be people on your team that aren't ready for, or maybe you, we aren't ready for as planters, like whatever that leap is that was that to be maybe look out for. Does that make sense? What I'm asking? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I, I can give you two, two leaps. Okay. So one, one I vividly remember is 2012. I had this one coaching conversation with a guy named Bubba Thurman at Lake like Point Church. Yeah, he was at Lake Point Church. He was a family pastor, and I didn't know anybody who was leading kids and students. I had one phone call that I feel like changed my whole thinking about structuring and building teams. And he was coaching me on how to build out leadership structures because our ministry was growing so fast, but we didn't have the leadership and the structures and the teams and the culture and in one, I'm, I kid you not, one hour phone call, he lit me up that I still go back today and I go back to those principles on how to build out the buckets of responsibility. How do, who do I need to recruit? How do I do that? So I, I didn't know early on how to build teams with leaders under me that could carry major responsibility. So that was a big leadership change and learning right there. Let me, let me stop there because I want to hit the second one, but planters, like what he just said, like is trying to figure out how to build leadership responsibility under you and having people that can build leadership responsibility to give away a ministry. Like that is gold, 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 gold. Like that is going to be a hindrance to your leadership lid for everyone on your staff and your church if you don't figure that one out. So yeah, that's a leadership leap for sure. What's the second Absolutely. one? Absolutely. Yeah. The second one was the ability to lean into conflict and confrontation. And um, I think I, I grew up uh, in context. We didn't really do a whole lot with a confrontation or like, you know, we, we're going to deal with like this conflict happened. We're going to get into all talking about it. 
but I married my wife who is an Enneagram eight. And also she, um, she grew up in a family that like talked about if they had a fight or conflict, it was like every night talked about it. So I married her. So then we get married and now I'm like, all of a sudden somebody wants to talk with me about conflict. And I did the typical dude thing of like, I don't know what to say to you. Like, how do I, and then I get around Andy and Andy is also an Enneagram eight, very big on keeping it clear and confrontation. So with working with him, being married to my wife, it, it caused me to see the, the beauty of like one, if I lean in and do it in a healthy, godly way in these conversations, it vastly improves the culture that we have. So even now in the teams I lead, like the number one value I'm driving with them is keep it clear. Like we're going to yeah. keep relationships clear because unity matters in this. We're not going to let false narratives build. We're going to talk it out. But it all formed in this season. And, and then two, Andy said this, I think it's gotten into me a lot, is you might be one or two hard conversations away from a breakthrough. So, yep. so if you can just lean into that conversation, you're going to, you're going to get to a place of breakthrough. And, and as a leader, when your leadership responsibility and weight increases, the number of conversations that could be confrontational or can be difficult, they're only going to grow. So you have to get comfortable and confident in leaning into those. So let me just, just circle this real quick because. I think sometimes as leaders, we think, okay, I'm supposed to, that means I'm supposed to be more aggressive or yeah. like the Enneagram eights, which I am one, yeah. I'm trying to be a healthy one. The, like, so that That's means good. like, oh, then I can, I, sh- I can and should say whatever I want because I'm an eight and I can do whatever I want. You know, that's what eights think. Yeah. So, but that's, but that's not what we're saying. What no. we're saying, what I think is what you just said was like, we want to be the kind of people that have a healthy way to engage in ideological conflict that brings the best for ideas forward and the healthiest culture for the organization. Yeah, and absolutely. and you have and the and you have to fight for that. And some of us are more wired to lean in aggressively and some of us are more wired to lean in hesitantly. But yeah. as our roles and in, in, in complexity increase, like we are responsible to bring that kind of value and 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 clarity to the organization. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that oftentimes like, you know, I'm I'm not an Enneagram eight, I'm actually an Enneagram one. But um, I know you've debated with me on that. You're doing such a good job. You're doing so good. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, so I think that as an eight, sometimes or anybody in conflict, you can come in and be like, well, that's just, I'm just an eight. I'm just a whatever, right? Or, and it's really that's ego and pride. And it's, a, and it's an excuse for a lack of restraint and self-control. And it's really probably rooted in a sin part. I'll just say that because I think – the healthiest eights I'm around, the healthiest people in conflict, it's not like I'm just coming at it. It's no, we're trying to shape and get to something better. And sometimes leaning into the awkward or the uncomfortable or the difficult and doing it in a soft spoken yet direct and clear kind of a way, man, it honors God. It helps one another get better. And it actually for people who aren't used to handling that kind of conflict like like myself early on it helps us grow and it helps us get better in it so that we can then lead better and i i'm gonna ask you a question and mm-hmm. it's we're probably gonna not have the time to do it the justice that it's gonna need um <laughs> okay so you leave a thing that yeah. you feel absolutely called to and passionate about and has shaped your leadership and your life, Echo Church, you love, and a people, not just a thing, but a people that you love. 
like you've been, you feel like you've been prepared, like you've got all these leadership learnings, and then you feel this calling towards Orange County and Saddleback. Like, I know that that was not easy and I wouldn't presume that it was easy, but so I'm, I'm asking you to like move past the pain of saying, I think we're supposed to go, but more of how did that, what, how did Echo and God prepare you for like what your role is now at Saddleback? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was a tough grieving process, but, and again, like, you know, for us, it was those same factors. I said, like, I needed God to clearly open the door to call and then I'm going to be committed and be here. And it's, it's still been a process of like, you're, you're finding your new, your new identity and self. But to answer your question specifically around like, how did echo prepare me for where we are today? I mean, I think what happens in that church plan, again, when you learn so much of the different areas, you get so many different experiences, you get to build it, you get to understand, we got to go into multi-site, figure all these things out from multi-site to, setting clarity and vision and culture and we want to change a region and we want to do all these things we also we were lean staffed we hustle we scrapped we recruited high capacity volunteer leaders you did all this so you take all this experience and even though we stepped into an environment that's like 10x everything it's like 10 times the staff 10 times the budget 10 times the attendance 10 times the camp it's like 10x everything you step in sleepless nights yeah, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm 10 kidding. extra sleepless nights. Um, but you step into this environment and there's so many of the, the skills of leadership, the thinking of leadership applies. It's transferable. The complexity is different because when you do 10x the relationships, uh, the complexity just gets, it, it, goes, it goes so much higher. So we stepped into that, but it really did prepare me in so many ways around the things that we were able to work on and develop around central and campuses and ministry experiences to step into this environment and also to help bring organization in it. I think the other thing that what echo helped me with in my role is one of the things that I, I do bring to the table and I'm good at is helping bring uh, one clarity and chaos. And then two bringing people together at a table where you've got cross-functional or cross-departmental teams together to help solve an issue and move things forward. And so that's huge being able to step in this environment and, and lead out in those ways. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I could tell lots of stories about you. I think you're an incredibly <laughs> gifted leader. So if you take notes, everyone, uh, I won't, I won't make him brag on himself, but I do want to, uh, you do, you are a coach with mm-hmm. church planters mm-hmm. now. And so I would love that a couple highlights of your cohort. And if you don't want to name names, that's fine. Um, they'll know who they are. Uh, just kidding. Uh, or, and maybe some challenges that you see in the planters in your world. I want you to do an mm-hmm. encouragement and a challenge later, but I'd yeah. love to see yeah. what you see in, in them as that they're currently facing. That would be helpful for a planter to hear. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I love it, man. I'm very passionate about church planting, about planters and about their team. And, um, like you said, I am, I do have the privilege of getting to coach a cohort, uh, with church planners and man, I love these guys. Cause I love, I love where everybody's at in, in a cohort like this, because they're all trying their best to, to, to carry out a call of God. And I think that's the biggest thing. And so we had a great cohort gathering our, we just did our first one back in October. 
we got to go to Bayside Church in Sacramento. We got to hang with Mark Clark, uh, who planted up in, in Canada and is now down there. And we got to hang with Ray Johnston and just learn wisdom, man, from people who've been there. And it was so good. We got a text thread that's that we get to keep communicating on. And it's such a great group of guys uh, from all over the how U.S. Many, and how, many have, gifts are, how many gifts are on that thread? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm kidding. I think, I'm kidding. I think I'm get kidding. more pictures on there. So, <laughs> okay. All right. All right. That works. It's a that great works. group of guys from across the U.S. We have one guy from Germany in there. I love it. So it's like we get this great context and conversations that are there. But I think to answer your question, like what I see, not just like with the guys that are here, but when I talk to different planters um, in different networks and around is one, uh, I've talked to some guys that it feels like the calling feels a little fuzzy and foggy. And people have always asked me, they've always said like, David, why haven't you, why don't you plant or why don't you be a lead pastor? And I said, to be real clear, because there's not a call and you can't get ahead of your calling. So I think like, the calling to plant is very sacred and is one thing that I would never, if you don't have, if it's not very clear and confirmed, don't plant. But so I think that's, that's huge. But I think with planners that feel the calling, some of the things that like I, I see and try to encourage them in is around their team. And sometimes when I've talked to different planters, the struggle that they have in recruiting their team, especially with recruiting people to move with you, to raise support, to give up their job, to do all this, to step into it, is they they sometimes lack the confidence to ask somebody to do that. So one of my coaching just questions them is like, well, do, do you believe enough in your calling for you to do that? Like, did you give up your job? Did you step out? Did you raise support? Did you do all that? Then why would you not believe in your call enough to ask somebody else to follow you in that call in the same way. Because if, if, if that is missing, there's a confidence in it, but there's a belief in the vision. There's a, the vision has got to be so white hot that I'm willing to say to other people, like, this is where we're going. You want to come with me and I don't want you to miss out on it. Like to truly believe, like they're going to miss out. So if I could encourage planners, I think in one big thing would just be, man, Lean into that confidence and invite other people into it. Pray like crazy for them. Lean in and have a very clear conversation, painting the vision. Give a very clear ask of what that means. It means I'm asking you to do it for two years. I'm asking you to raise support. So you're going to raise your own finances. I'm asking you to move with us. I'm asking you to be in the community. I'm asking you like, be very clear on it and watch God do some amazing things and how he builds your team. I couldn't say amen enough. Like I would say I get so annoyed uh, at planters and this is my eight coming out. So uh, stop <laughs> saying, stop, say, stop saying no for people. Like yeah. we proactively yeah. say no to God's call on their life. Cause we don't think that they will stop saying no for people. Yeah, so invite absolutely. them in. They can say no, but don't say no for people. I get annoyed at our, at myself still. I'll be like, Oh, they probably won't do it. You know? And I'm like, why am I saying no for people? Yeah, Who knows what God would want to do? No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, don't say no. Because there's people who are crazy enough to believe it and step out in faith. And and planters, when you have a great team, every plant that I watch, when they have a great team, again, remember earlier in the story, we talked about like, how would I go further and faster? It's like, if I've got the great team, they're going to go further. They're going to go faster. They're going to have more joy along the way because they got community from day one when they when they drop in somewhere. And then they're, they're going to have a greater impact. So I, I can't, 
say enough about making sure you're planting with a team and not just by yourself. Man, this is, uh, we've talked for hours, so uh, we could always talk for hours. So give me, for sure. uh, you may have already hit on one of the encouragements. So if it's the encouragement, you know, just maybe circle back on it and maybe a challenge and an encouragement for any planter or anybody that loves planting or is considering planting or is going to share yeah. this with a planter. Like what, just give me a big view of what you would say to a planter. Yeah, I think I, the one encouragement I would say is to make sure that you rest so that you don't quit. Um, I think a lot of times when you get running in the mm-hmm. grind, especially with planting, so many planters are usually planting somewhere in their 20s, maybe in their 30s. They're having kids. So they've got little kids. They've got, you know, they're, it's just life is crazy. So you've got to make sure that you take care of yourself. So um, I talked to one of the guys in my cohort. He almost didn't do our cohort. And I, he was calling. He said, he said, I was calling due to the breakup and tell you I, I wasn't going to do it. And so I just asked him this question. I said, you know, you're a couple months in. I was like, what do you need? Like, that's what I would ask. Like, is it like, what do you need? And really what the answer became in his mind, he said, as soon as I started to ask it, he knew was he needed to have space to slow down and he needed some other people around him that would help encourage him. And he was just talking about just the plane flight there, reading a book. It was like, oh my gosh. So I think if you don't get the right rest rhythms and healthy thing, healthy cadences put in in the beginning and take and watch that, then you're going to quit like, or you're going to burn out or you're going to hurt. So, yeah, I think, I think it was Keller that said like, there's a season of planting that if you kept living at that pace, it would turn into sin. And so yeah. I think there is a work part of planting that is just like, that's it. That is what it is, you know, and it's yeah. a season, but when that season prolongs into patterns, of unhealth, it can become sinful. So I think like, and navigate, and you need uh, outside voices. You need people helping you navigate it. I agree with that yeah, so much. And, and as the planter, I think the other important thing to understand is you set the tone and you set the culture for your, for your staff, for your team. So you, you'll set the tone on work hard, hustle. Nobody's going to outwork the lead person, but then you also have to be the one who sets the the rhythms and cadence that says we're a team that values rest and values our marriage and values our kids. And you've got to model it and create that. So there you go and rest. The one challenge I would say is this is a, something I've currently been thinking about as I work with like our worship production communications and teams. We've been having this conversation around we don't want to program out the presence of God. And I think there are times it's, it's the marrying too of, of spirit and strategy. Like God's given us a brain. He's given us wisdom. We can strategize and we can work, but the begging for his spirit to be it all inside of our strategy. And so often when we get hustling and even when we get learning and we get in these conversations, we can start going, what's the best hack? What's the silver bullet? What's the best way to plan it? What's the, da, da, da? And we start to get into all this and all of a sudden we have programmed out the presence of God. Like the presence of God is not in it because we don't need him because we've relied too much. So this gets practical and how we're trying to think is like one really trying to sit down and go, okay, is prayer part of what we do? So like Mike, before we filmed this, we just talked about, we prayed for this podcast before we filmed it saying, God, we need your presence in this because there might be a planner who's about to quit. There might be somebody who needs you. So like, 
Are we praying through everything? Are we seeking God? Are we leaving some space and margin for interruption from the Holy Spirit? Are we begging him for his presence to be here? And so if I was encouraging a planner, I mean, I would say from day one, you've got to have a strategy, but you also got to have a prayer strategy that's meeting that saying, God, we're begging for your presence and everything. We're ready to pivot wherever we are, including in our service. Don't, don't over program to the point where, where God can't move and his presence isn't there, where you're so reliant on a click track that you're not reliant on, on him to move. So just something to sit with, pray with, and think no, about. No, let me let me just double down on that. I I agree. Let's not get so good at strategy that we don't need God to show up because we got this church thing figured out. Like that would yeah. be an awful next generation of leadership baton to yes. pass. And you know, so much of thinking about that is it's very easy for and it sounds good. Like everybody can be like, oh, yeah, don't program out the presence. But so much of it comes into a heart heart piece. Like nobody knows if if you are actually asking for the presence of God, or if you're operating in your human ability, you, you do. And the Holy spirit does. I do. So it's yeah. such a heart piece to say, God search me. And I want to be, have your presence in my life. Dude, David, that's, this has been a great conversation. I am so grateful for you. Uh, grateful for your leadership. I am grateful for hum- your humility, your confidence, your giftedness, grateful for your family and your dog. Um, so I, I literally, um, we could, we could, we could talk, we could talk forever. Um, man, I'm, uh, I'm just so grateful. So planters, I hope this was helpful for you, man. Go back and listen and take some notes of some things that may be challenging and talked about with your team. And I would say, do not do this alone. Ascent cohorts are great or some kind of community to get people outside voices in to help you have some space, but also think and know that you're not alone in this journey. Uh, So make sure you check that out. Ascent leader, you're going to want to make sure that you get connected. So David, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, And hopefully you can have a closing word for us that's very impactful. So what would you like to say? Again, I just think about that part that God is the source of all hope and peace and Sometimes when we're grinding, we start to lack his joy and that peace. So I just would encourage you with whatever you are carrying right now that is causing you to feel anxious, to take some time to pray about it and sit in your prayer closet and just say, God, I'm giving you this. And whether it's an area of, I need to, I need to say, God, you've got to open that door or I'm going to stand and, and be committed in this. Maybe it's an area of responsibility. Just say, God, I, I trust you in it. And he, he will be there. He'll, he'll work that process in you. But but be open to that. Man, I love it. All right, catch you later, guys. Much love. Peace. Take care.